Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Eckhart, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello and welcome to Core Truth. Mark Follett here with Rudy Eckhart. Really excited about today's topic. We're going to be tackling one of the big ones. I think this is a question that most people have about themselves. Does your life have a particular purpose? That's what we're going to be tackling today. Um, We're going to ask some questions that are related to that. How do you know what your purpose is? How do you find out? These are some of the big questions we're going to tackle today. So uh, I'm interested, Rudy, for you to kick us off with uh, with a quick discussion about purpose in particular. Yeah, purpose in life. It is something that I'm asked so frequently by clients um, where they're generally frustrated by the fact that they feel they have no direction in life and therefore tell me that they're trying to find their purpose in life. And I think the word purpose, having a purpose in life uh, as a concept and as an idea is a bit of a misdirected, it's a misdirected word, it's a misapplied word, because I don't, in my experience with people, um, believe that people are designed for a particular purpose. I think you come into this world with innate capacities, talents, abilities, Let's call them leanings, desires, um, things that you're interested in and things that you're not interested in, things that fascinate you, um, that make you be drawn to a particular aspect of the life that you enter. And for some people, uh, having a leaning towards logic, structure, may lead them into architecture. Somebody else will go into mathematics. Somebody else will find applying that same attraction, if you like, or the same idea or the same ability in um, computer, in IT environments. So to say that you have a particular purpose in life is a very narrow perspective. Especially in the context, I think, of the way that modern society brings us up to believe that we have to have a career in a particular place to have a purpose you know, you go to school so that you can get a really good grade, so that you can go to university, so you can have a particular purpose. So that's kind of the context in which most people see a purpose is that you are contributing to society and to your own family through your career as a purpose. I mean, I'm sure other people are asking you that question and say, what is my purpose? And they're more talking in general about their life. My life doesn't seem to have any purpose, any meaning. I think that's the other way that you could be asking that question. Yeah, and I think I want to answer it first in the broad sense of, of what goes on here with education uh, and in this particular present time. And it, there used to be a time when education was perceived as something that prepared you for life, that was a general uh, increase and expansion of a child's awareness. 
Uh, so they, they used to teach philosophy. They used to teach Latin. They used to teach, um, history in a different way. Um, it was more designed that you would enter the world with a whole bunch of tools and capacities, which you would then apply into something specific, which would then lead you perhaps to university. Mm. Um, these days it's, it's, it's almost as if, what the world requires on a technical level, which has to do then what corporations require from their workers, feeds back in the education system and naturally uh, cannot help but narrow the whole system down. And you basically are being educated to fit a particular role. And, and is that what there's a distorted understanding of the word purpose in the, in the context of what we're talking about is that you there's so much focus put on that education to get to that university course, to get to that job, and that being your sense of purpose in life or what uh, people, other people perceive you and therefore as you perceive yourself as worthwhile. I'm only worthwhile if I'm highly successful in my career or I'm performing a purpose in my career. There seems to be a definite um, undercurrent of that in what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, there's... The- the whole distortion about what success really is, particularly when it's connected to money and status, uh, doesn't help our case to try and find what our passions and desires in life are, mm. which I prefer over the word purpose. Mm. I think our passions and desires, what we're passionate about and fascinated by and interested in, are the things we really want to do. Um, what's industry does is satisfy its own needs in terms of how it wants to make money and how it wants to expand itself and become a more powerful body, if you like, in the world in order to promote itself and promote its own um, its own internal needs of expectations of where it wants to go. Yeah, again, we've talked about governments being like an individual and I guess corporations are also like an individual where they've got their own um, needs, wants, fears, insecurities. As, yeah, a, as a corporation, as a group of people that get together, they're like-minded. They have a certain outlook on the world. Yeah, it, it, it is difficult to put in a couple of words, this. It's almost worth a whole podcast on its own, mm. and it probably will be one of these days. But the the corporation has become like an entity that is more significant and special than the individual. And People who are attracted to this sort of environment, um, to them, probably power, control, money, and status are more important than being passionate, fascinated, and um, absolutely interested in what they're doing. Mm. So I guess that's the that's the crux of why we've gone into this little sort of side subject in this talk about purpose, is that we want to distinguish your purpose through your innate drives and through your innate passions versus corporate purpose, um, the drives that are coming from the society outwardly onto, you know, as a, as, as a child growing up in the world, there's these outward influences yeah. that are trying to drive you in a particular direction. That's not the direction we're talking about. We're talking about the direction that comes from your innate um, self. self, your unique self, your passions and desires as you come into the world. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a conversation to be had about the reasons and the causes why people get so lost in the corporate environment um, and um, accept the illusionary 
aspirations that are built into this environment, which ultimately never truly satisfy the individual. Because they're not, they're not giving the, the individual an ability to be able to use their creativity, their natural talents necessarily. And so that's probably what we're going to focus on now. Though I think the next question is, how do you find out what your true passions, desires are that drive you towards your – see, in, in my mind, there is a purpose to existing, and that is to experience things. To evolve. To evolve and experience life. To expand your consciousness, to always become wiser, smarter, more insightful, more knowledgeable, more aware, more conscious of your own beingness in order to be that about the beingness of the world and other people. Mm. So you can only be as conscious of others as you are conscious of yourself. Mm. That is a prerequisite. So, I mean, the, the, the overall purpose of life in a greater context, there is a, there is a purpose in that we're here as a physical being to experience life and, and experience so, ourselves in physical life and in physical reality. But and that doesn't grow, really and grow from that experience. But then there is an individual yeah. purpose or an individual uh, fulfillment of potential. It's probably like to fulfill your potential is also to fulfill your desires, wishes, hopes, and dreams, and to fulfill the, or better to say, to satisfy your capacity to create and manifest within a particular context that um, encompasses your talents and abilities, your fascinations and attractions. Um, like I know, for instance, uh, someone who was a extremely good at football, right? And he was picked for an Australian team a long time ago. And in his youth, well, not that long ago, I guess he's not that old, but about 20 years ago. Um, and he was seen as a major talent, but he had no interest in it. It didn't fascinate him. Mm. It was easy for him to do. It just came really easily, but it didn't excite him. He didn't want to do it. It didn't matter to him. He was indifferent to it. Because of that, he was a disappointment to his father mm. because he had great aspirations for him, and so did a lot of people like his coach had for him. But for him, it was not his passion and desire, even though he was good at it. Mm. So being good at something doesn't mean necessarily that it is your passion and desire. The real question, though, is, is this. is that The question is not, what is my passion and desire? What, do I, what really fascinates me, excites me? Your question to yourself should be, first of all, why do I not know this? <laughs> it's a very good question. Because you're born with it. Mm. So if you were born with all this, then why are you not in the awareness of it? Why are you not in the knowledge of it? So the first of all, first of all, we need to understand how we lose it. How we, how we, we lose our understanding of ourselves or how our we passions. Lose not how we lose evolving into our passions and desires. What mm. happened that we don't know our passions and desires as we grow up? What happened for us to lose it and that we're now walking around trying to find it? Yes. And then we'll probably follow on to a discussion about some suggestions on how to start looking. Now, well, first of all, you start not how to look and find. Probably might be better to first find out how you lost it. Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, we'll eventually lead on to the discussion about uh, how to look and find, but we first need to talk about how we lost it, yes. Well, you won't be able to find it until you figure out how you lost it. <laughs> Uh, it's a great quote. I like that. 
Yeah, because it's, if, it's you so don't know, if you don't know how you lost it, how the hell are you going mm. to find it? Mm. It's just not possible. Mm. Nothing to be all sense. You might stumble on it, but if you want to live your life on chances that are highly unlikely, then, yeah, wait for you to stumble on it. You won't. Mm. And there's a whole, and I, and I will explain why that is so. Most of the time, people have very strong passions and desires early in life. And if they don't have them, then they, they will evolve if they're nurtured. When you have parents who either show no interest or are egocentric and in the sense that they uh, put their needs and expectations before those of the children or that they believe that your children should be doing the things that they believe are important uh, and not waste their time on things that they believe are unimportant, mm. that in that process, on all these, di- these three different examples I gave you, a child will learn to dismiss its own meaning and purpose and, if you like, passions and desires and interests and fascinations. And it learns to dismiss it because if it's not valued by the parent, then the child begins to believe very quickly that it has no value and it is insignificant, whatever that attraction may be or whatever that passion may be. That there's something wrong with having those fascinations and attractions. Well, yeah, it could be wrong for a number of reasons. It could just not be good enough. It could be a waste of time, depending on how it's described and treated by the parent. Mm -hmm. Now, once you believe and are convinced and have accepted that your passions, desires, fascinations and attractions and interests are of no value or worth or significance or not good enough for a waste of time, then even when you grow up and you are attracted to something and it is a reflection of something your parents were critical of, you will now personally dismiss it and say, oh, no, I can't do that. That's a waste of time. Mm. But I want to have my passion and desires, but I won't do that. Well, it's probably important that you said there. It's a reflection of the things that your that your parents thought were of no value, because it doesn't necessarily have to be the same things. Because you'll probably draw parallels between the way that you wanted to do something as a child and the way you want to do something as an adult, even though they're not the same thing. Like you know, you want as a child, you might want to be a great footballer, using the example you gave before, and as an adult, you might want to do something completely different. But you will you'll have the same issue in seeing value in whatever you desire to do at either of those points, even though they're not the same activity. Yeah, but I think I think that's not the first relevance, the first important thing. The first important thing is that within yourself, you've learned to dismiss your passions and desires. Regardless of whatever they Regardless are. of what they are, mm-hmm. right? And therefore, uh, have parents who promote uh, their ideas and their concepts to you, for you, and and, and with you, uh, and get into your head, if you like, and cause you to think a certain way, which then later in life makes you feel you, that you don't know what your passions and desires are, while in fact you're constantly in front of them all the time, but you dismiss them now yourself mm. because you're repeating what your parents have taught you. And so you could say that you then fear, if you like, giving in to your passions and desires for the fact that you believe that they're of no consequence, worthless, a waste of time, not good enough, uh, whatever your parents have described them at. Well, that they wouldn't be acceptable in society or that you wouldn't be acceptable. You wouldn't fit in or 
It's a strange thing to do. Uh, who would want to be an artist? There's no money in it. Yeah, money's you know, yeah. Money is always a criteria for parents who want to be protective of their children, right? The truth of it is, if you're good at anything, and I mean literally anything, you will attract people who want a piece of that. Let me, let me give you a really simple example that I've used a lot. Imagine that um, you're fascinated by cleaning. I know it sounds weird, but say that you are. Say that you find yourself cleaning and you actually like doing it. You like the whole idea of creating order in a physical environment, to have it clean and, 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 and look pristine. It gives you a good feeling to do that. And so, <clears throat> so when you don't know what else to do, you think, you know what, I'm going to do some cleaning for people. So you get a job and you work for a household and you do excellent cleaning for that household who then say to another household, you know what, my cleaner is amazing, right? And you constantly work on cleaning. So your mind is always busy thinking, now how do I clean this house fastest and best? What is the most efficient way to get the job done? Your mind is constantly working out strategies to do your job in the most excellent of ways, right? And as you're getting better and better at your job, your reputation grows. And more and more people want you to clean. It gets so big, in fact, you can't handle it anymore. And you think to yourself, you know what? Maybe I can find some other people that like cleaning and I can teach them the way I clean and they can have a job with me. And so now you're teaching cleaning and you're a cleaning company. And then you come across the fact that there is this guy who's got a 15-story building who needs to have that cleaned because he owns the building and he leases it out. So you create a contract with everybody else in the building and now you're cleaning office buildings as well as houses. So how busy do you want to be? How passionate are you about your work? And how much money do you want to make? You understand? And this guy is just a cleaner. Mm -hmm. If you're a sculptor, if you're a cabinet maker, if you're a mathematician, if you are a creator, manifester of any kind in a particular field, if you do it in an excellent way, people will come to you. Mm. And I know this on a personal level because I've developed this work and my goal was always to get results. And in striving for these results, and I have worked as long as four or five hours on one person to get results that I felt satisfied with in order to feel satisfied that I was doing the best for my client that have now made my work in what it is right now, which means I can almost guarantee that if you come to me, you work with me, you'll change. Hmm. And I've not had feedback in the last 25 years that that's not the case. But that comes from my commitment to what I'm doing and my desire to perfect it. And a passion to do that type of work. The passion to do it, the passion to understand it, the passion to evolve it, the passion to always know more and more. In, in my reality of my work, <clears throat> My clients are my teachers. Every client that comes in is my teacher. The most difficult client is my greatest teacher. Mm. He teaches me most because I have to work harder for him. And you learn in the process of I evolve. I grow in every which way. As a practitioner, as a person, as an individual, as a soul, as a consciousness, I grow. Mm. And I enjoy on top of that, I've started to write in 1998 and I've written a book which I've spoken about and I've been writing a book 
I wrote a book for 10 years. Mm. I must have rewritten that book at least five, six times. And I was never, ever, in every day that I was writing, bored with what I was doing. I was always excited, even if I rewrote what I was rewriting. I was excited about what I was rewriting, rewriting and happy to create something new. Um, and then in 2008, somebody said to me, you know, it's a, probably a very good book, but nobody will read it. And I was offended. I was upset because I've been writing for 10 years a book that nobody was going to read. <laughs> he said, it's too long. Mm. It's too detailed. You've got to make it simpler. So I rewrote the whole book in three months. The draft I wrote in three months, completely out of my head, without looking at the old material, because I knew my material so well. And then edited for a number of years in order to bring out what it is now, right? The book as it stands right now. Um, it's been a labor of passion, love, affection, uh, excitement, enthusiasm, and absolutely no sacrifice. I never felt I sacrificed anything. Mm. I gave up nothing for the book because, not because I didn't put a book before other things I did, is because doing things that were about the work and that was about the book was never ever a sacrifice because mm. it was what I wanted to do. It was my passion. It was, and it's still my passion. It's been my passion for 25 years. Mm. And I can't see that stopping. The writing, the learning, doing sessions with people. And in my mind, right, the way I feel about this, I want this for other people. So when I talk about passions, desires, fascinations, attractions, and interests, all together, I'm, I'm talking about me in some respects in that I'm thinking, I want that for others. I want them to feel what I feel. And and look at work as not work, but just doing what you want to do. You know, people are not a burden. They come to me and I, I'm enthusiastic with every individual. Uh, I, every time I find their issues, it's like a major triumph for me that I can make a difference, that I can... Um, that I've learned something, understood something. It's all those elements... It's both selfish, selfless, and selfish. I know it sounds weird. Well, maybe that maybe that's the def- maybe that's the definition of when you found your passion in life is that you're doing something something for yourself that also benefits others, and there isn't any conflict between that. None. Yeah, absolutely. None. And, and and obviously, as you said, that you feel enjoyment and great learning comes from the work that you're actually doing. That's when you know that you've got into this place where you're working in a place where your your innate self, your passions and desires and abilities are being used and you're actually in a place where you're expanding. But I know that you haven't always done this work and that for the first part of your life, it was different from that and that you very, probably... Very, different. You, you know, so it'd be interesting for you to go back to that time and try and, try and explain or pull apart how, how you came to find this place that you're now in because I think that journey would be helpful for people to understand how where they might be in their own space where they're not in a place where they feel that they're happy to go to work every day because they really enjoy what they're going to do. I'm not going to go right now into details of my childhood because I think, no. you know, that's not necessary at this time. But what I want to say is this, that I um, I was very disconnected from my parents. 
uh, for my stepfather and my mother. I felt from very, very young that I was very different to everybody else. Uh, that what I noticed very young is that my perception of others and the world was very different from that of others. And also I was attracted to drawing, art, painting from a very, very young age. Um, and I did that up until the age of uh, the drawing and the painting and all that up until the age of about, I think when I came to Australia, when I was just about, when I turned 17, uh, I came to Australia. Um, I didn't do art for quite a while and then had moments of doing it, like periods of doing it. Um, within all of that, I obviously with parents who were not interested in me, I, and me feeling very different, uh, there was a sense that I didn't belong. But, uh, other than my passion for art, there was no other passion in my life. And actually, my desire as a teenager was to become a, um, designer and an artist. I wanted to be both. Uh, I never got to do that. My, my parents, my mother felt it was more important that I started bringing in money. And I had to get any kind of a job. And I basically worked in a timber mill uh, on the Parramatta River, uh, picking up timber that came out of a planing machine and then loading it on the cart and taking it to the warehouse. That was my job at the age of uh, 18, 17, 18. I was doing that kind of work. Um, I eventually became an apprentice uh, because I also had interest in technology. I, I built at the age of 11 years old, I built my own little radio and stuff like that uh, with the first transistors that were coming out at that time. Um, just transistors were still little discrete, little bubbles of glass with something inside of them with three leads coming out of them and you would use them individually. <laughs> uh, now we got like, God knows, two, three thousand transistors, if not more, on a chip. Um, <laughs> So, it, it, you know, I've seen the technology grow and I've had an interest in that. And so I became a technician. After that, I've done many things, which I, it's mm. pointless to list, but a great variety of things from sales to management to you name it. Uh, I've been a metro D, I've been a kitchen hand. I've done many things in my and, life. And did those things involve your passions? Like how did you feel when you're Nothing. doing those types of jobs? I was always passionate and interested in the beginning, but then once I knew a job, and I was doing it, I would lose interest in it mm. because it didn't excite me. I'd say that's common for a lot of people, a lot of people in the world, you know. Yeah, because when you don't have a sense of direction, you just take what you can. And when, um, particularly um, after my divorce when in my 30s, early 30s, I just took on anything I could because I had to live and I had to survive uh, and I had to make money. You had to pay for a roof over my head and a lot of other expenses. So you become less picky and less concerned about what you want, more about staying alive and having food in your mouth and a roof over you and a bed to sleep in. And that's understandable. And I, I totally understand that, that that at times is a necessary part of life if you're not doing what you passionately want to do. <laughs> but then I became involved with a, with a woman who um, was a chiropractor, uh, we got into a relationship. I became interested in chiropractic and I showed some talent in that area. And I actually enrolled into a course and I did chiropractic for two years. 
until I realized that when they made it a university course, that it had become something entirely different because the medical profession became involved in how the course should be structured and it became something um, you spend years learning stuff that you could never apply in a in a practice room with a with a patient. So lots of theory, very little practice. And so I bowed out of that course because I lost interest in it, and I started doing kinesiology. Now kinesiology fascinated me because it seemed to be able to change people in a fairly dramatic way until I realized that when I was doing it with clients, uh, that somehow it was not achieving the goals that I set for it. The expectations you had. Yeah, my expectations were higher than what, the, than what kinesiology could deliver. So, But you did actually find that you connected with your passion in terms of I connected to people. it on a level, yeah, that, that working with people was interesting. Was interesting, sorry. And what, what I did pick up out of, out of myself and out of the way I was working, that I always kept on leaning towards people's psychology rather than the physical stuff. And so I realized that my interest, my interest was there, but also felt that the causes and the reasons why people had issues was more in the psychological area than it was in the physical. So my focus shifted to the psychological. And it is then that I started to develop the process, system, and philosophy that I'm practicing now. That became that came out of that realization, out of practice, out of discovering certain elements uh, that evolved into the system that I'm with now. But it wasn't just like somebody turned on the light and all of a sudden I knew what to do. Yeah, it wasn't an accident, like you <clears> said before. You didn't just stumble across it. I stumbled across something, yeah. but that was a trigger to look for a lot more. And in that looking for more, which took five years, just just to make you realize that it didn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Lots of research, practice, um, experimentation, looking for psychological tools that would work, finding tools that would work in some ways, but not in others seeing the limitations of some tools, but using bits of it and turning them into something else has finally brought me to what I'm doing now. You know, in that time, I uh, learned kinesiology, obviously, which I apply in my practice as a testing tool. Uh, it's not a therapy in itself. And uh, I also learned hypnotherapy because I wanted to understand how people's consciousness would change and shift. Different states. And what would cause it? Different states, yeah. So I, I, I think that all of what I've learned and all of what I've discovered has, has made this particular um, work possible, which then I turned in 98 into a philosophy and a book, which then was written in 2008, is now the book that is The Truth of Love and Fear, which was originally called Manifesting Reality. Oh, that's interesting. That was the. Isn't it? Working title. It, it's interesting that uh, you use the term manifesting reality there because I wanted to just point out that obviously you and I both understand that we create our own, create, create our own reality from our belief systems and we've spoken about that on the show before. But I guess there needs to be some patience involved and some looking inward involved 
in terms of moving towards the things that you want to manifest on a conscious level because we've spoken about before that a lot of things that you choose to do that you manifest for yourself come from your subconscious and some of those things are through a lens of fear which means that you're not actually manifesting the things that you consciously want and I think there's this disconnection between what you consciously want and whether that's fear-driven, that, that, that want and desire is actually fear-driven or whether it comes from your creative innate self. And then you've got this level of fear that sits at your subconscious level, which is also causing things to happen um, based off your fears. So it, was there something around that time that you were working through on your own when you changed basically from working in a space where you weren't working for your own purpose and creativity? To a place where you are now was there something that changed within you because i think that's the only place that we have the power to change well i spoke to you uh, about the fact that in my early 30s i started reading seth speaks mm. uh, and the nature of personal reality and those other books written by or written through if you like jane roberts mm. um, and they were a massive influence um, i think up until the age of 32, I was depressed, and I didn't realize that. I wasn't aware that I was depressed. It's only in hindsight that I can say I was depressed. I was negative. There was, I was at times suicidal, which obviously is not a positive thing. Um, when I read Seth, for me, it was like finding endorsement and approval, if you like, or finding ver verification that the way I thought and the way I felt and that my perception of the world was actually real, that it wasn't just a figment of my imagination, that it wasn't because I had a distorted mind and I couldn't stop the distortion, if you like, mm. that I wasn't a misfit, but that I was unique and that everyone else is unique. But most people who are unique, who are fearful of being a misfit, try to fit in with everybody else <laughs> in order to be acceptable because being different often gives people the feeling that they're unacceptable and that they won't be wanted by others. Mm. Uh, I just assumed I wasn't wanted by others, so it was no problem for me. I didn't fit in, and I was spent my life, a lot of my life being separate and alone. Do, do you think that's the key reason why people don't know what their, what their innate desire is because – they're constantly suppressing it so that they can fit in with other people. Do you think that's the reason? Well, we, we asked can, the question. It can early. be a part of it. Yeah. The main reason, the main reason that people don't know their passion is that because it was never highlighted in their life because the parents show no interest in it, or it was actively suppressed because the parents rejected it. Mm. And, but then once people grow up, they they reject they reject it themselves because of the. Uh, it is it like a pattern. It is like how you acquire fear. Mm. Like, like everybody wants to be their authentic self. They would like to be the person they were meant to be and do the things they were meant to do, which you know sort of harks the purpose in life kind of idea. <laughs> okay, but whenever parents cannot accept their child for who they are and want the child to be something different to what they are to satisfy their own fears and insecurities, their own biases, um, their own prejudices, if you like, then the child learns that who it truly is is unacceptable. So then the child 
as it grows, starts to reject its authentic self and, and its true and nature. suppresses its true nature. In the same way that it then suppresses its talents and abilities, perhaps its wishes and desires, it suppresses its um, passions and fascinations and interests in the same way, actively, in order to become what the child believes the parent wants it to be, in order to have a relationship with the parent in which it is protected and loved, even if that love, acceptance and trust has become very, very conditional because of the fears that the parent holds. Yeah, I understand that. So you think that's the main reason why people are unable to connect with this with within this purpose, themselves. Within themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They cannot connect within themselves because they don't realize that the door they sh- the door that is shut is shut by them. <laughs> hmm. That ultimately by by being in a distorted relationship with their parents because of the parents' fears. They shut the door within themselves, but they're also the only ones that can open it again. Well, there's, there's power in that for people. There's definitely power in that for people, but power will only come through being truthful with yourself, self-realization, self-awareness, self-understanding, and being introspective. Not in a critical way, not in a blaming way, not saying I'm an idiot for not knowing, or I'm an idiot for not being, or I'm worthless and insignificant because... You know, I've become this and I should have been that. None of that. It's about just accepting responsibility that you're the keeper of your fears. You're the keeper of your insecurities. Nobody else holds on to them but you. Mm. And so the power to let them go also lies with you for that reason. Well, that's amazing. Um, I'm looking through some of the things we wanted to cover today and I'm just going to summarize what we've been through because it's just it's just been an amazing, amazing journey today. Um, so we talked about life having purpose and we talked about the meaning of the word purpose in the context that we're talking about today. Um, we talked about how do you know what your – how to fulfill your value, how to fulfill your own innate value is through those creative passions that you have. That's 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 the, the lead indicator into into finding out where your true value and your, your true growth is potential lies in the world, which is really what we're talking about when we talk about purpose, but we're not going to use that word because it does distort the yeah, meaning you're not somewhat. a machine. You know, you're not a machine designed for a particular purpose. No. You always you can have passions and desires that change throughout your life. So in part of your life you may want this, or you may have ten passions <coughs> and desires for all I know. Mm. I mean I certainly have more than one. Yes. Even though I'm not practicing art, I love art. I love painting. I love drawing. Um, I love writing. I love my work. Uh, I have an interest in ancient architecture, in the origin of man, in old psychology, if you like, historical psychology, uh, how people evolved. Um, uh, there's, there's like so many different. I've got an interest in technology, I have an interest in a lot of things. Um, does not, not necessarily want to work in all these things, but there's lots of things in my life that I'm never bored. Mm. I'm always excited about learning something, understanding something, uh, experiencing something that will um, add to my general beingness and the growth of my potential. Um, if you live a very narrow life and exclude everything out of it, there's a tendency to 
um, to be somewhat stunted in your growth because you know a lot about one thing and you know very little about anything else. Mm. And so whilst you may not be an expert in everything else, you can know about a lot of things in a, in a very good way, in a very accurate way without necessarily being an expert. I mean, I, I understand computers conceptually. I understand software conceptually. Uh, understand a lot of things in concept, but it doesn't mean I necessarily want to work in that environment and dedicate my life to, because mm. I'm not passionate about those things. Which, if I can keep talking for a second, um, you asked a question if, you know, how do you d- discover your passions and desires? Well, as I said to you from the beginning, first of all, you probably need to discover why and how you suppress them. Uh, to begin with, because we all have it. Our creativity is a part of all of us. Mm. So we need to begin trusting, believing, and accepting that at least in concept and potential, even if we don't know what it is, we've got to free, we've got to open up that door, even if we don't know what's behind it. If you understand what I mean. Mm. What we can do, and anybody can actively do, is start monitoring yourself and Activating yourself. I mean, by activating yourself, I mean start involving yourself in reading different things, in getting involved in different things, in um, engaging in different areas of your life, in experimenting with your own creativity. So a lot of it is experimentation. And as you experiment and try and involve, involve yourself and have various experiences of doing things, monitor yourself. Are you interested? Does it excite you? Mm. Are you fascinated by it? Do you want to know more? You almost need to put yourself back into the, the mind of your three-year-old self. And you're and playing again. You're playing again. You're just, you're just trying everything out and seeing how it fits. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely the way, the way to approach life. That's and, and, really to approach it. Be playful in life. And I, and I would say that one thing that points towards your passions is your urges, the urges you have to do things. As, you know, Try things out, and as you said, you'll get particular leanings and urges towards doing particular things. Yeah. Um, and that will lead you in the direction of your passions. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So nobody is uh, – there's no part or time in your life where you cannot do this. I don't care whether you're 7 or 70. Mm. Yeah? It's a continuous process It's a well. continuous process. You can pick it up any time. You can start living your life at any time. Um, I get to occasional much older clients – I'm 70 myself, if I can just throw that one in, um, who is at, uh, has retired and, um, is no longer excited or interested in anything. And I find that sad because it proves to me that they never, they were never excited and interested in anything all of their life. Mm. They made working for somebody everything. And then when they were made redundant, they became nothing Have no purpose. because they made it everything to begin with. Mm, mm. So their sense of value, their sense of worth, their sense of status, their sense of significance disappears once the job disappears, once the role disappears. And that's what we talked about to tie this back into the start of the episode, what we talked about with the distortion in in your true purpose. If people were looking at their career and looking at just their this linear version of, of life where you go to school, go to some sort of technical or, or university education, get a job, 
so that you can retire hmm. and you get to the end of your life and, and you look at this, okay, I'm going to retire and then I'm going to try and find my passion. Hmm. It sort of doesn't work like that. You've got to, you've got to be looking at this as a lifetime it's a lifetime of, project. Of, a lifetime project of growth and achievement and yeah. learning and understanding. And, and it's okay to change. Yes. It's okay to flip it one day and say, you know what? I've had enough of this. I want to do something else. Mm. It's okay. <laughs> you know, the, the, the testimony of all of this lies in the reality is that a lot of people have an education, go to university, get a degree, one or two, and then never use it. Do something entirely different. I'm not saying that having that degree is then a waste of time because you learn something from everything. Mm-hmm. But the point is, could that time have been spent on their passion and desire? And what would that, where would that put them then if yeah. they had specialized in what they desired to do and excited them and, um, yeah, what had, had a drug, was a driving force for them? You know, how much pleasure would they get out of that? And so it's a bit sad when, when, uh, kids, um, finish up becoming adults and spending their life doing something that I don't really like doing because they often live then from vacation to vacation um, and work is something you're doing between. Or even weekend to weekend. Yeah. 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 So yeah. every Friday has to be a Friday of release of all the dissatisfaction, discontent, of all the pressure they felt and all the issues they felt throughout the week because of work. And they have a disproportionate need for letting it all go, mm. which then results in other sorts of issues, as we're probably all aware of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, I, th- I think this has been very, uh, very informative for me personally, and also for our for our audience. If you're interested in Rudy's book, um, The Truth of Love and Fear, then you can go onto Rudy's website, RudyEckart.net, and and buy a copy of that. I highly recommend that. Uh, it, it, he has put his heart and soul into that and his creativity as we've talked about today. So it's, uh, as you said, it's been a labor of love, but not in the term that that's normally used, which is, uh, which is a way to say you didn't get paid for it. But uh, <laughs> it's more in the term that you actually put your love and energy and creativity into the pages of the book. So thank you for creating that and thank you to our audience for, for listening as well. Yeah, I thank everyone and I thank you, Mark. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I'll see you later. See you soon.